Hello, everyone. Welcome to Jaw of the Month Club. I'm your host, Diana Koch. On this episode, I'm joined by a guest to review the first Latin American Jalo discussed on the podcast. It's crystallized, Marita de Cristal from Argentina. In the film, a photo shoot designed to honor a model who tragically died on the runway is shrouded in mystery when the people involved begin to disappear. I'm joined by a first-time guest to discuss trench coat-wearing killers, elaborate set pieces, and everything in between. My guest is a Canadian costumer that works in television and film. She's worked on numerous genre productions, including the Chucky TV series, The Last Video Store, and Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Welcome to the podcast, Felicia Mancini. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really happy to be here today. Oh my god, it's been years in the making. Yes, it has. So it's, it's great to finally get together and uh, discuss such a cool movie. I'm so excited. Felicia, can you give the listeners a glimpse into your background? Yes. Yeah, so I guess the starting would be pretty typical. And I just grew up loving movies, really loving fashion and always playing dress up with my sister. My sister is now my creative partner. Um, she's a costume designer as well. So we're always working together. But kind of something that has always been in the backdrop of our lives for as long as I really can remember. I ended up studying journalism in college. Um, She took a completely different path. And we kind of always ended up working on things together accidentally or not really. It was really organic in the way that it happened. But uh, my focus in college was really entertainment reporting. Um, I was really into television writing. My internship and my first job was at MTV here in Canada. So I got to write for a lot of cool live um, interview kind of based shows. So this was back when we used to have those type of TRL style shows. I worked for MTV Live. So I got to write a lot of different celebrity interview questions and um, kind of got involved in that television world, which was really cool. But the landscape totally changed. I ended up going to blogging. I worked for a newspaper. Um, At the newspaper, they didn't have a budget to style shoots. I was like the photographer, the stylist, the writer, the editor. Um, It was really like grassroots, the starting of kind of when I would get paid to do this. Girls with Guns started in what, like 2010? Yeah, so Girls with Guns was the kind of the project that my sister and I did while we were doing our separate paths. We were always kind of working outside of media entertainment, but Girls with Guns was our guilty pleasure passion project uh our sanity almost in a way where we got to really cut back on our budget for different projects we were working on which was mostly music videos things like that at the time projects for friends little indie things here and there because we would just make them ourselves we would screen print my sister is a seamstress so we kind of worked together on this collection of horror-based clothing that started off for women it was really kind of like sci-fi slasher inspired and we did that for quite some time. Um, that's how we met, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Girls with Guns happened at a time when I was freelancing, and it was really about money. It was about resources, and also it became about us selling these pieces to be able to fund the projects that we really wanted to do. I would work anywhere and everywhere at different offices, you name it. We would, we've had the most random jobs, <laughs> my sister and I, while we were freelancing. But Girls with Guns was a thing that we would do to maintain our creativity and to really just constantly be designing and having fun with what we were most passionate about, which was film, which was horror and which was fashion. So it kind of was like a channel for us that we always did on and off. So we would be doing movies. 
we'd be doing different projects, but we would always in the back backdrop be shipping off our orders, kind of plotting ahead to see what we would want to be printing and working on. So it was kind of just always an organic thing that was always in the backdrop. And it kind of prepared us for what we are doing now, I would say as well, too. What was the most surprisingly random gig that you had that you might have thought it wasn't like in your wheelhouse, but it turned out amazing or you think that you did an amazing job? I I would say I I did PR at a record label and that was new to me, the PR world, because I came from journalism. I came from working in television, doing print. And then I got this job at this record label and I got assigned an artist that was essentially a viral YouTube sensation one hit wonder. And she didn't, she was so talented and truly an amazing artist, but she didn't really have an image. While I wasn't really interested in working in public relations, I was really interested in working with this artist. And since many years later, she's, you know, her music's on the Kardashian show. Every movie, every television show you're watching, this girl, her name's Maggie Zabo. At the time, she went by another name. She was like a pop princess kind of thing. And that was a really fun job when I look back on it. Um, we got invited to meet Oprah together when she came to our hometown because Maggie was like a huge star where I live in Hamilton. I think that was really, really cool. And it kind of led me, pushed me back into styling because I did kind of take a break from it. And it was so fun with her. Um, and it was just so over the top. And I would kind of do my work in the office I had to do. And then as soon as I was done work, I would go with this girl and we would really work on her image and her styling. And I feel like you really thrive in those creative positions. I was able to catch the last video store at Fantastic Fest a few months. Oh, yay! Um, and I, I sort of, as soon as I saw a leather jacket, I was like, that seems up someone's alley. <laughs> Given the one location and the small cast of the last video store, can you talk about some special touches or like your favorite pieces that you provided to the crew since it was such a smaller cast? Yeah, so because it was such a, a small cast and it took place just inside the video store, um, it really let us zone in and we really kind of wanted to focus on our main character, which is played by an actress named Vanessa Adams. We wanted to focus on her being the ultimate modern final girl for us. And it was really important for us to make her look badass, to make her look um, tough and not soft. And we kind of always channel like our inner Nev Campbell when we plan these characters. We're like, she needs a leather coat. We were thinking a scream too. Like we are nerds. I think with that movie, which was really fun, was we got to embrace that love of slasher that we have. And we got to dress a masked man with, you know, a chainsaw. And it's like, this is awesome. This is kind of what we've always wanted to do. And this is our total yeah. cup of tea. So we brought in one of our, our good friends that works with us on set. She helped us with the bloodbath. That was a busy day when we're getting everything bloody and crazy. And it was just really, that was a really fun one because we are video store nerds at heart. That's who we are. So to be in that environment um, was was truly a blast. It seemed like it was fun. And the movie hits on very specific genres, but it has like sci-fi, horror, and again, the bloodbaths. That was fun getting up and going to work for those days that I was there on set. I did a lot of the buying, which is kind of during the pandemic. That is what I did on, on set or offset, I should say, is I did a lot of buying for different productions and um, that was one that I did buying. And then I was there on like special days for the bloodbath when they would have certain stunts. I would be there as like, um, an extra hand there for my sister as well. Buying, um, basically I'm in touch with the designer and we work together where she relays her vision onto me, 
what the production's looking for, so what the director's vision is. What they're not looking for is also really, really important. And then the budget, which is the most important thing, and sometimes yeah. the hardest thing that you're working with, um, because you can have all of this different creative input and vision, and you kind of have to make it happen in a really short amount of time, and sometimes with not a lot of money. So it's just being resourceful and then kind of knowing where you're finding everything before you even start looking. And then it's kind of like diving in there. I'm in a jumpsuit. I have like my special bag. I have my grandma cart. We look crazy in the mall and when we go out to buy, buy, but um, I really enjoy it because it is still an aspect of designing, even if I'm not designing, because the designer's only giving me um, so much to work with. And then there is a point where it's, um, up to me what I think that they would would like for their vision to be carried out as that's always really exciting I do enjoy buying and if there's anyone that's interested in film not just film but anyone that's interested specifically in costumes buying is an excellent place to be for sure in the department do you find when you are buying things that there are requests for multiple multiples yes especially in horror especially in action Right now I'm working on pre-production of an action film with uh, my sister. My sister's Estee, so if you hear me referencing her, it's because we work together all the time. She's my partner on everything. But yeah, we're working on an action film right now, and while there aren't many changes, like if you were doing an episode of a television show where they go back and forth, this is the same, you know, five outfits, but they're getting destroyed. That's a significant chunk of your budget, for sure. And then on this project, they're actually hiring stunt actors. So that kind of alleviates the difference of having to buy for an actor's body. And then the slight differences in having to purchase for the stunt right. performer as well. So it's always a challenge, but it's it's also really exciting. And um, that's that's probably our favorite genre to be working in, not just because we love it in a personal level, but uh, it's the horror sci-fi world for sure. I am a big fan of Don Mancini, and I just think he's just such a wonderful, talented human being. And I know that you worked with him when you were uh, spending time on the Chucky TV series. Well, I love Don. Don, a.k.a. we used to call him Big Cuzzo on set. Like, we were obnoxious. But um, no, he loved it. He he actually, it was this cool thing because we were the cousins on set. We were the Mancinis. So we would have to get COVID tested and it would always be like a Mancini at COVID testing they were saying to us. And it would either be like my sister, Dawn, one of us. But it was a really cool experience. It was a dream. We got a call from um, Catherine Ashton, who's the designer, and approached my sister and I um, for working on the show. And I had a baby at the time. Um, well, he was just a little guy. He was like under two. Um, so I couldn't really take on anything full time on set. Um, my sister did, however, she was the truck supervisor on set. So they brought, would bring me out for special days with a lot of background actors. So I got to work with the amazing um, background supervisor. Her name was uh, Eileen Gano. And we had this amazing on-set team that worked together um, on bringing Chucky to like this new generation of kids. And the actors were amazing. They were complete pros. They were so cool. They were so hands-on with their their costumes and their characters and it was such an amazing little family and Don is just so passionate and this is his baby Chucky's his little baby he knows how to you know change him with the times and to keep him scarier than ever and to be able to sit and watch his genius at work 
and to watch Chucky at work, it was so bizarre and out of body and full circle because we grew up obsessed with Chucky. So many yeah. of us did. So, you know, to have to wait around for Chucky's hair to be done um, <laughs> so we could run in and do our finals too. Like, I just wanted to fix his little outfit, but I was only responsible for the background actors and Chucky has his own little crew. It was so, so cool. And the bloodbaths were crazy. Um, the finale was in a movie theater. So for um, a couple days, I would say two or three days, we shot nonstop um, these kill scenes inside this movie theater. And in the background, it was old Frankenstein movie playing on a loop. And I swear, I still have like nightmares of this because it was just <laughs> this Chucky murder scene. And all we had to see in that theater for like 12, 13 hours straight was Frankenstein. A few minutes of that Frankenstein. Yeah. And it worked. And then you, we watched it and it's like Don knew what he was doing. It was perfect. It was so good. Yeah, it was a blast. And Jennifer Tilly is the queen. Yes. The queen. I love her so much. Amazing person yes. and amazing style. And she's just the queen. <laughs> we love scream queens and just queens here. <laughs> yes. All the way. She is the ultimate. Is there anything coming up that you are, one, allowed to talk about, and two, that you are jazzed to be a part of? There is a film that I was actually a part of called Relax, I'm from the Future. Um, and it was... Reese Darby? Yes. Yeah. It was a really fun project to be a part of. I was only brought on to work on a very specific jacket. It was the hero's jacket. And it was like this crazy leather coat. And the director's notes were just of this band that I'd never heard of and this amazing black punk leading woman, um, Polly X was her name. And he kind of just gave me song and an album to reference for the jacket and let me run with it, which has never kind of been done before where you'll have notes, you'll have a mood board, but not an album or a song. And it's like, this is what this Jack has to be a part yeah. of. So I would say that film and it's been getting a really great reception. Like we've seen people dress up, as the characters at Comic-Con, which has never happened for us before. So I'm really proud to be a part of that project. My sister was the designer on that one as well. With the strike. Yeah, it was really amazing. And with the strike, really the only things we can work on um, are Canadian productions that are independent. So small made-for-TV movies, holiday ones. We have a bunch of holiday Christmas movies that are coming out. We'll post on our Instagram. But um, that's another side to the coin, which we do those as well. Which I love. It's like like a duality. Get you a girl (laughs) that can do both. And the (laughs) ultimate dream is to be able to mix the two worlds of, like, horror and made-for-TV. So Morgan Fairchild is, like, our god. Like, we... That is our ultimate Scream Queen goal is to work with Morgan Fairchild. So I'm just putting that out there. My partner, my partner loves Morgan Fairchild. There's um, there's a movie called Eric's Revenge, Phantom, Phantom of-, of the Mall. I have Phantom yes. of the Mall in our in my notes for our conversation. Literally, oh my god, <laughs> that movie is like my life. You don't understand. I'm so happy for you that you're with someone who has such exquisite taste as well because that movie is like a rare gem i can't even get started on it because i'll just go off (laughs) it's perfect this weekend i'll end up watching it yes it is a perfect pairing for crystal eyes it's one of my picks for a pairing actually oh wow that's amazing there you go we're doing 
Flavor of the Month picks right at the top of the episode. I Sorry, love- I just changed it up there for you. Is there anything else that you've been watching that you really like? I feel like there's two movies that have really stood out to me recently. Um, and one was Significant Other. I say these movies are new because they're in the last like five years. To me, that seems new. <laughs> I don't know why. Significant Other with... Um, Pika Monroe. Yes. From and Plop, Plop from The Office. I don't know what... I can't remember what his name is. Yes. That was so well done. And I feel like alien movies that are really well done are few and far between. And then you add the horror aspect of it. I was like, perfect. This is a great movie. It's and short. It's suspenseful. I think it's streaming on Paramount Plus now. Yes. I think it's, I think it's a good use of of your time, for sure. Yes. And that's a movie that I would, would have loved to have seen caught in theaters. It was beautifully shot, and um, I really enjoyed it. And another one is The Night House. It's a psychological thriller. I think it was made, I don't know, in the last year or so. And it was really well done. It kind of reminded me of, like, a new age the movie with Harrison Ford and Michelle Pfeiffer. Oh, what lies beneath? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Like stylistically, the way the yes. story was told, and I love that where it's like a really edgy, dark thriller that's just super well well styled. Um, yeah. I really would recommend that one, and I'm kind of always in a state of nostalgia. I feel like because I don't have a lot of time to watch TV and. Um, with mom life and work life, I really don't. So when I do, it's like sleepaway camp, phantom of the mall. But um, I kind of haven't been able to find a lot of horror I can connect with lately. Yeah, the two that you just mentioned, Significant Other and The Night House, I think like, those would actually make a good pairing because the bare bones of it is a relationship. Yes. Um, uh, dynamics between uh, a boyfriend and a girlfriend or a husband and a wife. And they're both very suspenseful films. I'm kind of in this weird documentary phase i'm in where i'm really liking the content that's being pushed out in regards to like y2k era pop culture like follow-ups where it's like exposés on different aspects of pop culture from year 2000 to 2004 whenever so i really enjoyed watching the secrets of playboy i know that's not new i don't know if you've seen it but it's a horrifying documentary on the reality of the playboy empire so very dark but it's extremely well done um investigative reporting and kind of along the same breath i watched kind of uh it's like an expose on the doggers those kids from tlc Mm -hmm. and i'm kind of a secret reality junkie but from back in the day when i'd watch tv so now all these years later all these documentaries that are showing how crazy things actually were and how fake they were i love it so the duggars john and kate sister wives like i have no shame so don't feel sorry about riverdale because i'm watching sister wives like that's that's where i'm at right now so let's talk about the jalo of the month crystal eyes from 2017 it's set in the 80s, but it is a, a newer film, and it's also, as I mentioned at the top of the episode, it's the first Latin American Jalo discussed. There's a few that were filmed in Spain, so they're in Spanish. This one also is in Spanish. That's amazing. Well, I feel proud as a Latina to be here with you today as well, <laughs> for personal reasons. In 1984, top Argentinian supermodel Alexis Carpenter tragically dies during a fashion show. 
She's accidentally set on fire after verbally abusing and assaulting other models and a makeup artist right before she walks the runway. One year later, Buenos Aires' most important fashion magazine is organizing a photo shoot to honor the late Alexis and her legacy. But on the night before the shoot, Alexis's dresses that were going to be used by the models go missing. The photo shoot is shrouded in mystery when the models and crew members begin to disappear at the hands of a stealthy, sinister female silhouette in a long black leather raincoat. Is someone seeking revenge or has Alexis returned from the grave? This episode will contain spoilers. Crystal Eyes is streaming for free on the Plex app. Be aware that this hour and 22 minute movie has eight commercial breaks when you're watching it on Plex. (laughs) I made a tally as I was watching. (laughs) Um, You can also rent Crystal Eyes commercial free on Apple TV. I should have known because I watched Super Vixens last weekend on Plex and there were so many commercials. I don't I don't know why I thought that this one would be any different. Be aware of the commercial breaks. Yeah, true 80s experience, I feel like you're watching this movie. You know, you're back in the day of commercials. There's no fast forwarding. So felt like it was in a time warp. <laughs> Crystal Eyes premiered in 2017 at the Mar del Plata International Film Festival in Argentina then had its UK premiere at Fright Fest in 2018. The film is a nod to the Jalo subgenre, not so much the classic 1970s movies of Argento, Bava, and Martino, but rather the glossy 80s music video-inspired efforts that went straight to video. Films such as Too Beautiful to Die, Nothing Underneath, and Fulci's Murder Rock, which were set in a world of high fashion, populated by big hair, bad makeup, colored with neon lights, and with action accompanied by pop synth soundtrack. Co-directed and co-written by Ezekiel Endelman and Leandro Montiano, Crystal Eyes contains such giallo elements as a leather-cloaked mass killer, voyeurism, mirrors, straight razors, spiral staircases, broken doll imagery, a black cat, a theme of fashion similar to blood and black lace, and many references to mannequins akin to Black Belly of the Tarantula and Spasmo. I must give a shout out to the Black Cat. He gets his own end credit, and his name is Becker. I love him. Oh, he did a great job. <laughs> He's so good. I don't know if you watched all the way through, but all the humans get their own photo and their own, and then the, the cat yes. did. I was like so happy. I know. That was great. I loved it. I loved it so much. Crystal Eyes consists of a large cast and no main protagonist per se. The cast, which is mostly female, are great, and they manage to remain on the right side of camp, which is not so easy considering a script that is often tongue-in-cheek. The mostly female cast alone is a refreshing element of the movie, even in the horror genre where women often dominate the screen. But it's even more refreshing because not all of the women in the film are necessarily good. Some of them are career-obsessed or fame-hungry, but all of them are fully fleshed out, even if they have a short amount of screen time. There are men in the cast, but for the most part, and for the vast majority of the film, it's the women who take center stage. The film is expertly acted, with a cast that does not have a huge film background, but I think that they really did their job, and they managed to hit both the film's comedic and horror notes, and they're convincing in their respective roles. With cinematography by Cecilia Casas and Benina Gattardi, Crystal Eyes' rich, neon-soaked environments come alive. There's a real visual flair to their cinematography, and the film's direction is rarely boring, comprising of vibrant shots from high angles and classic giallo POV. 
The film's electrocentric score by composer Pablo Fuel feels fitting for a film in the 80s. The score is authentic feeling, from its catchy synth pop songs to darker sounding goth influenced Depeche Mode style music cues. With an 82 minute runtime, Crystal Eyes has a body count of 10, which means one death every eight minutes. It starts in a deconstructed runway show in a back alley. We meet unstable supermodel Alexis Carpenter, the top model in town who spends more time in the bathroom doing drugs than in the dressing room getting primps for the runway. The demanding diva treats everyone terrible, including her makeup artist, whose face she burns with hot coffee when she confronts Alexis about her attitude. Shredding out in a wedding dress at the climax of the show, Alexis chugs champagne and suddenly catches on fire. Because of the runway design, no one in the audience is able to save her. They all watch helplessly as the model burns to death. That was a, such a great way to kick off the movie. And I was, what a cool place for her to show. I would love to know I was about to say. Like yes. But I love that. It was super gritty. And then these women were really polished. Some of them still the caked on makeup. It was just perfect. And the lighting. And then just to top it off with, you know, the kill. Yeah, was, I thought it was like, okay, they got me here. Now I'm going to pay attention. Like, what's this movie really about? So, yeah, I thought that was and really it, powerful. It sort of lingers on like every different model, the process of them getting ready. There's a bunch of exterior shots of the runway. There's exterior shots of the audience watching. And it clearly shows that they're behind a fence so that when the electric waves shoot through her, like there's no... No one is able to run out and save her because everyone's behind a fence or they're like all the way at the end of the runway downstairs in the, into the room, the back, and, like the backstage room. And just for the, f- the fact that everyone was there to watch and you're there to see the fashion show and there's really no looking away when something like that's happening right in front of you. And it's, it was horrifying and it was, it was great. And I, I really loved the bitchy, beautiful girl aspect of horror. Where there's always that little bitch. You know what I mean? Where, like, this is it. Like, this girl is giving me everything. She's doing drugs. Like, she's horrible. She was so mean to everyone. (laughs) It's such a good trope. Like, I'm a sucker for it. So it was another check off my list where I'm like, okay, this is going in the direction I like. And then she dies. Written off as a terrible, tragic accident, one year later, the editor-in-chief of the top fashion magazine chooses her two best models to star in a tribute photo shoot to Alexis to mark the first anniversary of her death. However, the night before the photo shoot, Alexis's original dresses are stolen. This kicks off a string of strange and sinister events seemingly involving anyone who crossed the malicious model's path. Is it a figment of their imagination, or is the female figure in the long black leather trench coat Alexis herself? risen from the dead the killer is particularly impressive dressed as a mannequin and striking model poses while pursuing the staff and models working on the photo shoot it was glam the cinched was glam the slow walk and it wasn't like a michael myers slow walk it was a strut and i don't know why it reminded me of the artist that would do a lot of nail art in the 80s patrick nagel i think his name was if you were to look up patrick nagel on google You'll see all these images where if you go to the nail salon and it's an outdated oh, yes, nail salon. on the wall and it was like she's holding a rose. Yeah, or like she's holding like a pear and a flower and it's like a woman with a really airbrushed face, the cheekbones. I love that aesthetic. I love that vibe. So it took me back to that where it was like you would see a that what the killer looks like is something you would see on like 
an outdated hair salon or nail salon's wall. Yeah. A, a picture of a weird woman. Like, it was eerie, but super fashionable. Like, that was, I loved it. And scary. And the the movements were sort of robotic, very calculated. The way that the killer was moving, I'm glad you brought up Michael Myers, because Michael Myers, it's always the joke, is that, like, he can catch up to you no matter how slow he is walking. <laughs> Same with this killer. I'm like, no matter how fast you're running and slow they're strutting, they're going to catch up to you. Towards the ending, there was a scene where it was a really long, it seemed like a long cat and mouse kind of scene. And it just showed the beautiful staircase. And you really kind of, as she was like stalking her prey, I was so distracted because everything I was looking at was like, she's walking really slow and she's going after her, her, her victim. And you really get a chance to see within this world that I don't want to get too far ahead of the conversation, but the set deck was just perfect. And yeah. it was really like an extra character in the film with, without it, you know, you're missing such a huge part of what this film was all about. So I really liked those slow walking murder scenes mm-hmm. because I got to yeah, see the lighting. I got to see the props. I'm like, I wanted to live in that world. It yeah. seemed so cool. And then we do get our first look at the killer in the mannequin shop with the original dresses. Alexis's brother, Mateus, and his friend go into the dress shop to take the original dresses. Mateus and then the friend are murdered, throat slit. And then as people start to disappear, two models that are hired for the magazine cover, they begin to feel like they're being stopped. So then that's when it sort of shifts from this larger group of, you know, it's a year later. So it's, it sort of shifts tones and it sort of focuses on the photo shoot. Like the photo shoot is the plot going forward. We get one of the models is stabbed with a hand drill. So if you've seen the driller killer, it's like totally old school manual hand drill. We have the editor of the fashion magazine, um, Lucia. She's decapitated. She, she was is, great. She was so good. Again, with playing like bitchy characters, she's like Love the it. ruthless magazine editor, old school. You know, she's seen some shit. Yes. <laughs> yes. Her office and her home was like oh a total, God. total nod to Suspiria. Like that was like an Argento yes. house. And then even specifically in her office, there's a sculpture that sits on the table that is like an exact replica of the crystal bird that's in Suspiria. It was cool. I love seeing something done so well. It's another thing where I'm like, I'm so distracted by this house. Yes. <laughs> I know I want, I, and that's why I really liked revisiting with you. Because when I originally seen it in theaters, it was at the Hex Film Fest. I think it was like 2018, 2019 was the Canadian premiere. And I just wanted to keep pausing it so that I could just see what was happening within this world. Because everything was so well executed and had a purpose and didn't feel out of place. And it was so authentic. So I think a lot of the times when people want to do the neon 80s aesthetic, it's just like neons everywhere. There's shoulder pads everywhere there's so much happening where it almost looks like caricature where this did not feel like that to me where everything had a place if there was neon coming in it was from a creepy stained glass window that was a perfect part of the room and everything had a place and every person felt like they really belonged in this creepy glamorous world so i really liked how authentic it all felt this is a visual aspect, but even that character, the Lucia, her 
her full name translates to um, bird, which is likely a reference like Argento's, like bird with a crystal plumage. Like I couldn't help but like there's yeah. so many Argento nods in this film, even down to people's names. A kill that's sort of an homage to Argento's fondness for broken mirrors. Our next kill is one of the twins that is an assistant to the editor, the magazine editor. She's stabbed with a broken mirror shard. However, in the case of Crystal Eyes, this reference could also be because of the high fashion themes with reflective characters and faded glamour. Like, mirrors have a lot of, you know, symbolism within them. So I think that, although it is a Jalo slasher, I think that there are some some deeper things at bay. Our next kill is the other twin, Nydia. She is drowned in the tub, and fans of Deep Red will note many allusions to the film in this bathtub murder, and then there's also the coffee burn at the beginning of the film. These are things that are in Profondo Rosso or Deep Red. The standout moment for me is after this gruesome kill, the gruesome kills of the twins. Once they're murdered, they're placed in the bed next to each other, holding each other's hands, which sort of gives a clue as to a small indication of the killer's identity. I caught on to it. Some other people might, but it yeah. is a spoiler. But I just thought that was such a cool image. There was a lot of, I feel like this movie had a lot of Easter eggs that were so cool to see. And um, I think it just goes to show you how well thought out the director really went into every little detail. And he's also a costume designer. So I'm not saying that's the reason yeah. why, but it is the reason why where everything is has a meaning and has a purpose and huge background story. And I would love to see more movies from costume designers because... Both the the co-directors and co-writers, both of them worked in the wardrobe department. We are taken to a different location, which is a huge historic building that they are having the photo shoot in. We have another kill, which is the owner or a tenant of the photo shoot location. Her name is Miss Gardner. We don't learn a lot about her, but she is killed. And then we have the designer who was designing all of the outfits that were being used in the photo shoot. Anton, he has his throat slit. I was rooting for Anton. I was rooting for him, man. Didn't stand a chance. <sighs> he didn't. And this brings us to the final reveal and third act of Crystal Eyes. The first on-screen murder of the film, Alexis's brother, is revealed to have not really happened. Mateus is in fact alive and has been our killer all along. He saw visions of his sister, sought revenge, and brought to life the doll-like mannerisms of his trench coat-wearing killer. The motivations for the murders are vengeful, but also psychological in nature. The feminine nature of his clothing is a visual departure to his true identity and an indication of his characters fusing with his sister. While we have little insight into Mateus's character and his relationship with his sister, what the film represents is sufficient enough as justification for what transpires on screen. Mateus's madness also feels convincing thanks to Diego Benedetto's flamboyant performance. After this reveal, there's a confrontation between the killer, the magazine cover girl Eva, and the makeup artist Barbara, who was burned by Alexis prior to her death. A struggle ensues. I personally liked the reveal. Sort of saw it coming. Yeah. And I like the minute the reveal kind of happened, this perfect mannequin-like figure who, her movements were very robotic, like you said, and she was this perfect mannequin where... You never really got a, quite a good look at her. Like, you couldn't... There's parts of the movie where I'm like, is it a mannequin? Is it a person? Like, I don't get it. And then that moment where everything caught up to him, 
her just to kind of see the decay and the breakdown of makeup and the costume. Mm-hmm. I loved it. And when you get like I, the literal mashing of the mask and yeah. doll imagery is always like a very cool, just a cool thing to look at in horror movies. And I Love think it. that it it's like that facade was shattered. He goes back and forth with him being in reality of accepting his sister's death and also then his sister takes over and it's Alexis speaking I love that I love that the montage it was so weird and I don't know I love that weirdness and it's just so great it was kind of cheesy and corny but in the best way when you would see her face there like kind of talking to him and I'm like this is great in the film's most effectively violent death, a silver sculptural piece bird skewers model Ava. In classic Jalo fashion, art often plays a pivotal role as seen in The Bird with the Crystal Plumage and Tenebrae. Matthias is then hit over the head and the murders are pinned on makeup artist Barbara. Matthias wakes up in the hospital asking for his sister and continuing his murder spree. There's an additional death of a nurse, and the doctor is murdered, and then the film ends. Yes, I loved that hospital setting. You almost feel like the, the film was dying out. You kind of got the reveal, and then it was like its final act was this hospital, and it was so perfectly lit. It was creepy. And I think the casting is what really, really did impress me with this movie, where the nurse and the doctor were just so perfect. It felt like a telenovela. Like, it yes. felt like, because it was so well lit, which hospitals are, but just that last act, all the craziness that happened, the, you know, there's a news reporter and she's talking about yes. the murders that happened and then how they're being pinned on Barbara. And then in my notes, I wrote down when he got hit over the head with the, I think it was like a tire iron. I wrote like, okay, this is, that's his death. And then, no, <laughs> he's, he's still alive. No, he had a, Start shit at that hospital, of course. They always do. I should have known. They're never dead. The minute they bring, like, the psycho to the hospital in horror, it's like, he's going to tear that hospital apart before he pulls out. But I I, I loved that. I loved it when it was playing on the TV and it was, like, the nurse's station or something and they were all watching it and, like, the murderer right there. I love that kind of setting in horror, especially in films like this. It was the perfect little finale there i I was so impressed by it i did like those last few minutes because i feel like if it ended at the news report saying like oh yeah. these people died barbara's the murderer and then it just hit credit but it just went it just turned it a little over the top and a little silly and a little typical slasher fun at the end and i really thought that was a good note to end on yes and the credits were great and Yes, I love the credits. I'm glad I watched the credits because yeah. when I was watching the Plex app, the next thing all automatically popped up and it moved the credits really small. No, I want to see the people. I want to see. I wanted to see who played the killer, like the killer mannequin, if it was the same actor who plays Mateus. It is not. It's actually a member of the production design team. Is this trash? It's a, a drag performer. Was the the person who played the killer when it was in killer form that's awesome (laughs) i i would love to see another film with that character i i could watch more of this fashion weird world and um i think it was like the perfect perfect villain because it was it was like a mannequin but it wasn't quite a mannequin and anything mannequin i love it's just there needs to be more mannequins in horror (laughs) (laughs) It never I, I do like 
Yeah, I like a creepy doll or a creepy mannequin. Yes, you can't go wrong with a doll, a mannequin. I really liked the part in this film where they were in the store. The way that they used these spaces were so smart and so authentic. And the whole team of, I don't know, I feel like when, when you're working on a project and everyone is on the same page and everyone is passionate um, this doesn't happen very often or all the time, but when it does happen, that magic is on screen and you can kind of see it and you can feel it. And I don't know what that set was like. It, maybe it wasn't like that at all, but I just feel like from watching it, it seems like every department was on their A game and we're all ready to have fun and to make this a really fun and enjoyable film. And the directors being costumers were, I think, exactly what this film needed because the fashion aspect of it was so perfect and so fun. And I think as a costume, I really enjoyed it because I'm kind of horrible watching certain movies because I'm looking for, I'm not looking for inaccuracies. I'm not a snob or I would hate if someone did that to my work because they're in there. I totally agree. Crystal Eyes draws its stylistic cues from the 1980s while referencing the thriller conventions of Italian horror and giallo from the early 70s. There are obvious nods to Suspiria with the color palette and more subtle tributes to the beyond with a blind character named Lucio. The influence of Dario Argento's work extends to the film's themes and is laced throughout within its gorgeous production design. I feel like it was a little world that they created that was so seamless and so perfect and you can see exactly where the inspiration was from from these details and like you mentioned and the little Easter eggs and little nods were so great because it's paying homage but in a way it's also revitalizing and putting their own spin on it and i i really appreciated that and it doesn't feel like a movie that at all that was made in the 2000s of any sort and i just feel like it goes back to the crew there's a couple details that i really liked i noticed when characters are seen in pairs that they were often dressed in matching outfits but opposite colors the twins in the office the models on the stairs there's nuns that are in the background of a scene and then again the twins in the house when they're going to bed, if they're wearing the same outfit, different colors, I was like, oh, that's really cool. And I love the visual, the doubles, the visuals of doubles always is something that I enjoy. The authentic props, there's like a Pepsi ashtray that like, yeah. I know someone bought on Etsy. Those little tiny touches and the palette was so rich and so almost whimsical and still so creepy and perfect for what the story was trying to convey. And it wasn't just, about fashion but this very specific area of fashion which was this world of modeling and the evil editor and it just kind of it, it felt like a a telenovela the thing that i really enjoyed most about this movie was the way that the different factors in storytelling all complemented each other it seemed so seamless the way that they were trying to tell the story and how they made everything in this, oh, I know I keep saying it's own little world, it's own little world, but I feel like that is something that is kind of hard to achieve when you are working within your own department. You, Everyone's getting the same script, but everyone is working on different parts of the story. So I think just to have these super cool characters in this super cool setting, getting chased by this weird mannequin was just such a cool thing to watch. And I would really like to see more of what this production company does. I think their name is Toy Boy. I'm always looking to see if they're coming up with anything new because um, I think it was so interesting and I, I haven't really seen a lot of horror from Argentina. So I'm definitely intrigued 
after watching that and just to seeing what else is out there for sure. Crystallize gets the aesthetic spot on and I enjoyed the knowing nods to the classic Jolly that came decades before. The film does a great job nailing that late 80s Jolly vibe. I think you're completely correct in saying all these little details really added up to something special. The film might face criticism, not from us, (laughs) for being an example of style over substance, but I think that's unfair because there is a competent plot and storyline in this one. It's a fairly straightforward and serviceable as an enjoyable whodunit. Of course, the original Jolly of the 70s were a testament to Italian style and the shallow, luxurious lifestyles of the characters who populated them. While it's obviously low budget, I think Crystal Eyes does exactly that. I was surprised at how engaged I was in the story with it being so focused on capturing a throwback feel. The sound design, the score, the reveal all have a feel of a late 80s slasher with a heavy Jolly influence. It's a little campy, it's a little queer, it's a little tongue-in-cheek, but it stays far from parody or all-out comedy. I think it was very respectful to the films that came before, and it's a solid thriller with some good chase sequences. For this episode's Flavor of the Month picks, I want to suggest a few movies that I think would pair well with Crystal Eyes. Felicia, do you have any films or music or really anything that you think would pair well with this film? I think I mentioned earlier Phantom of the Mall. The reason why I would pick Phantom of the Mall is because it is extremely glam for the fact that it stars Morgan Fairchild, who is perfect and a goddess in this movie because she has the teased hair, the 80s glam is perfect. Um, She's like this bitchy manager of a mall and she will do whatever it takes to have her mall like kick off. And there's mannequins, there's murders, there's a really synthy score. So I would definitely recommend Phantom of the Mall as another for lovers of fashion, mannequins and big hair. Another film that I would recommend is a Canadian horror film called Pin. I'm not sure if you've seen Pin. P-I-N. And it's about a mannequin. Crystal Eyes wasn't solely based on mannequins, but the minute I see mannequins in a movie, it's a mannequin movie to me now. So I rank it alongside Pin. So um, it's a Canadian movie that is about a mannequin that is in a doctor's office and the doctor takes it home to his family and it causes problems with his siblings. So it's a very weird B-list observed mannequin movie. So for that reason, I would pair it with Crystal Eyes. And the last um, is some a movie that came out a, a few years ago and did really well was Neon Demon. The new take on the neons and the killer fashion and just how demonic the world of beauty and fashion can be. I would probably pick those three movies just for the elements of beauty, the styling, and the gore, too. They're all pretty gory, the three of them. You can stream Neon Demon on Prime Video and Hoopla. So listeners, watch that. Phantom of the Mall, that's streaming on Shudder. So my picks are a little varied. They start out very tame and obvious when it comes to pairing with Crystal Eyes. And then they get a little bit more aggressive and mean as they go and less on the nose. But this is what I have. So my first suggestion was Suspiria from 1977. I just thought it was an obvious pairing with this one, especially the interior of the magazine editor's home slash office. Dario Argento's film is streaming on Tubi and Canopy. My second pick is Dress to Kill from 1980. A little bit of a spoiler of why I paired it. The look of the killer, the long legs, the strutting, the cinched waist, like that gave me Dress to Kill vibes. Brian De Palma's film is streaming on Prime, Tubi, and Canopy, so you can watch it there. 
not so the same theme, but definitely same origin. I was looking for horror films from Latin America, and I haven't seen a lot. I have two that I can recommend. The first one is Here Comes the Devil, which is from 2012. Hailing from Mexico, the film follows a couple who loses their children near some caves in Tijuana. The children return to their parents the next day unharmed. However, something has happened to them. It gets spooky. It's supernatural. You can watch Here Comes the Devil on Pluto TV. My last movie is the film I talked about on last month's episode. I saw it at Fantastic Fest, and it's now streaming on Shudder, When Evil Lurks. This is an Argentinian film. It is so mean. And also, the composer of Crystal Eyes is the same composer from When Evil Lurks. Same composer, different vibes. But if you want to watch two Argentinian films in one night, watch Crystal Eyes and When Evil Lurks. When Evil Lurks is streaming on Shudder. Well, I'm glad to know that one got your stamp of approval because I have that one saved and I'm like, I want to go down, I want to go down that road and watch it. And now that I know it has the same composer, for that reason alone, I'm in. I talked about it extensively on last month's episode because I did my Fantastic Fest roundup and it was in my top five. I'm sorry that I'm recommending it to you because it's all oh, one of those. Felicia, I know you are a busy lady and that you're working on some really cool things. Is there anything that you would like to plug or promote while I have you on Jalo of the Month Club? For everyone that is able to check out the last video store to do so when it comes to a fest near you, it's a really fun slasher film um, that we have coming out. And I guess if you're into holiday movies, follow us on Instagram because we're going to be posting the movies that we designed that are going to be on Lifetime. So this is safe for you to watch with your mom. Unlike anything Diana talks about on this podcast, you can probably not watch with your parents or your Nana. But with this, you can. <laughs> um, you can follow us on Instagram. It's at the Mancini Sisters. We always try and post um, when things that we're working on are actually airing. Um, and I just got a text that the strike is over. So hopefully, Whoa. yes, very exciting news. So um, I'm just really looking forward to now getting back on set where everyone can have better conditions um, moving forward to do the job that we all love to do and movies. And the reason why we're all here is because we love it. The reason why you're doing this amazing podcast is because of the movies. So the fact that everyone that makes them is, you know, we're moving towards a direction of, Everyone getting treated properly, that makes them, makes me happy. So that's what I would like to plug is just all the goodness that is on the way. And, you know, there's so much amazing storytelling here in Canada. So I would just also tell people that are listening in the audience of your show to check out what's happening coming out of Canada, because we have a hub here of things that are exploding. And a lot of your favorite shows in America are actually right here in Canada. So Follow us on Instagram at The Mancini Sisters, where we post some behind the scenes stuff. We have some fun stuff from Chucky that we did on there. And um, yeah, a little bit of everything. So follow us. Thank you so much for having me on here. And I can't wait to see what you do next. So what what is coming up next for the podcast and for you? So next month, I will have my favorite films of 2023 coming up. I would like to have some more female guests on the podcast because I think with Jalo or horror in general, female voices are not heard as often. And I would love to have some female input on the podcast. So thank you for being on. You were so amazing. And it was so nice just to chat with you after all, all these years of knowing each other via social media. <laughs> it's great where scary movies bring us. Jalo the Month Club is now in Letterboxd. You can follow the list titled Jalo the Month Club for every movie reviewed on the podcast, including this one. You can also follow on Instagram at Jalo Club for all the Jalo goodness you can handle. 
listeners, thank you for joining us on another episode of Jollo Month Club. I'm your host, Diana Koch. And I'm Felicia Mancini.